Well, why don't we pray together one more time here? Father, we do just want to praise you and thank you for loving us, for meeting with us, for being gracious to us, uh, for saving us from our sins, for meeting with us, and um, just showing yourself to us through your word and through your spirit. We just pray for this um, time looking into your word. Pray that it would be helpful and real. We want to know you more. We want to be like you. We need help by your spirit. We just hand this time to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to take a uh, short break from Revelation and do just a topical message. And... You can turn, if you want to, to Matthew 4. I'm going to kind of jump around, but just going to do a short topical message, and eventually we'll get, we'll get back to Revelation. But I'm going to talk kind of about the big picture of the Bible and kind of more of a 20,000-foot view, but also let's talk about the Christian life um, as well. I'll open kind of with this illustration kind of for Mother's Day in a way, although this is a little different. But think about if you were going to be a new mom and you were pregnant and somebody told you just how great it is to be a mom, you have a baby, you, you love the baby, you get to care for the baby, and they told you all the good parts and you had no idea, you had no previous knowledge about birth or anything like that. What would that experience be like? You weren't prepared mentally at all for what childbirth is like. Baby wakes up at night and cries, and you didn't know about any of that. I'm sure there's been people in history who have actually experienced that. I'm sure that's really hard. Um, imagine, on the other hand, if you knew going in, you know, you had your mind set and you knew um, you were prepared for all the different pieces. Um, and the different experience that would be be very different one way or the other, wouldn't it? Uh, maybe a little bit lighter of an illustration might be if your husband said, let's, again, I'm kind of directing it to the wives, I guess, because it's Mother's Day, but, or actually maybe just because this is more likely that a husband would do this than a wife. <laughs> okay, imagine your husband said, we're going to go on a really nice vacation. I've got it planned. You don't have to do anything. Um, it's going to be great. We're, we're going to go for a couple of days. Everything's already prepared. And it's just going to be a great time, family time, and we're going to take off work, and we're going to go, and and we're going to have this nice vacation. It's the middle of the summer. And then you get in the car, and the husband says, well, it's kind of a surprise, so I'm not going to tell you where we're going. And then you get, you drive out, and then you get to this really nice campsite, and you're staying in a tent and uh, eating hot dogs over the fire. And it's you know middle of summer, so it's super hot. You might be disappointed, <laughs> you know, uh, because you're what you're thinking when you hear at least m- many people vacation is not camping in a tent. Although maybe you really like camping. The point of all that is just to say that how you think about something going in affects your experience of something, and knowing what to expect is a big piece of our experience as human beings, and. A couple things just to think about here. Think about the Bible itself. 
that God gave us a book about the Christian life, about what it is to know God, to be right with God, to walk with God. And what he gave us was a book full of stories. There are some parts of the Bible that are just reasoning, right? Where it's just kind of like Romans, where it's very much, here's the argument. But the vast majority of the Bible is stories. And even big parts of it that are letters are in the context of a real person's life and talking through that. Well, I just want to talk about today just what is the Christian life? What can we expect? And maybe kind of the story that we see our lives through, through the scripture, and why it's important to have right expectations. And so that's kind of the overarching view. Um, And so let's start here in Matthew 4 as we kind of jump into this idea. Matthew 4, 1 and 2. And going to jump around a lot, but we'll start here. Matthew 4, 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's stop right there. And here's what I want to talk about um, today in different ways, but this is the way I'll say it to start. Sometimes God leads you into the wilderness. Sometimes God leads you into the wilderness. And I'm using wilderness as kind of just a metaphor for difficulty, for the di- a difficult part of the Christian life. And it's really important to know this. It's really important to have your expectations set that the Christian life is not going to be easy. It's not going to be victory to victory. It's not going to be mountain peak to next mountain peak. There's difficulties. And just like, you know, the illustration of the mother, you know, giving birth, it's important to know going in what the Christian life will be like and what the Christian life is described as in the Bible. We see Jesus here, sinless, God in the flesh, and he was led into the wilderness for a time of testing and difficulty. It's not because he sinned. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And it's interesting that he quotes all these verses from the testing in the wilderness of the Israelites. So I'm going to speculate just a little bit, but I think this is biblical. Um, and if We can always talk about it more another time, but I'll just tell you what I think. And um, I think that Jesus viewed this testing in light of the wilderness testing of the Israelites that he was viewing this as, I'm going through the wilderness just like they did. He was placing himself in the larger story of Scripture, of God's work, and saying, this is my wilderness part, part of my life. Um, And I think we ought to do that. I think the Bible gives us this picture over and over, the same idea where we not only read the Bible for what happened, but it's showing us how God deals with his people, and we can view our lives that way and insert us, our experience, into the pieces of the larger narrative of God's people. I think that's what Jesus is doing here in terms of quoting these verses that were related to the wilderness, and even many of the mistakes they made in the wilderness, he's avoiding. And so, 
the first thing I just want to say is that sometimes God leads you into the wilderness. So here's Jesus as an example, but obviously we can talk about the wilderness in Exodus. I'll read you here from Exodus 14. You can turn there if you want, or or you don't have to. I'm going to read from several verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel, Turn back and encamp in front of phi ha Iroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people, They are wandering in the land in wilderness, and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So here is an example of, well, one, God's the one that led them out into the wilderness. But this particular situation is he put them in a bad, a bad spot. <laughs> he put them trapped. And he says, that's why I'm putting you here. I'm putting you here because Pharaoh's going to see this. He's going to come out, and I have a plan. I want to glorify myself. But it wasn't, the Egyptian, it wasn't just the Egyptians that were in charge. It was God, ultimately, that had a plan. And he led his people here into this situation where they're trapped by the sea. And, of course, we know the answer, the end, the end is that he splits the sea. And ultimately, they go through the wilderness, um, which also, again, like Jesus, at the beginning was not a result of sin. It was actually a result of deliverance. And so they did stay longer than they should have, but it wasn't a result of sin that they were in the wilderness. It was God's deliverance. He had a plan. He was leading them. The, the pillar of fire by night is one that led them. And the pillar of cloud by day is the one that led them into the wilderness. Another example here from Job 1. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered, and the Lord said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, All that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Job went through a wilderness situation. He went through this difficulty of trial. Who put Job there? Well, in one sense it was Satan, right? But ultimately it was God. God was the one who even brought up Job. Have you considered my servant Job? And so all this is to say, sometimes God leads you into the wilderness. Sometimes there's a time of difficulty and suffering in your life, and God has it there for a reason, for a purpose. I'm not saying the opposite. I'm not saying that every time you're suffering, it's not a result of sin or or something like that. We always have to ask the Lord to search our hearts. But the reverse isn't true either. If you're in a time of suffering, it means you've done something wrong. That's not true. We still have to give that to God and ask the Lord. So, This is the first point. Sometimes God leads you into the wilderness. And that relates to this second point. We don't want to believe the lie that if something is really painful, God's not in it. If something is really painful, God's not in it. That's not true. It's possible that you're going through something painful and God's not in it. But it's not necessarily true. We just have to test everything according to Scripture. I'll give you a couple examples here related to the wilderness. Think about the wilderness. This is exactly the kind of thinking that the Israelites actually had in the wilderness. They're walking into the wilderness, and this is what they say in number 14. And all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, 
Would that we had died in Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they fell into this lie. You know, it's like, Oh, this is hard. This is not, this is not what I expected. This isn't good. Uh, this is painful. We shouldn't have even left. We shouldn't have come here. We shouldn't have come into the wilderness. Um, we just want to guard against this in our life. We want to have a right expectation of what God's going to do in our lives. Another example from Luke. This is another kind of metaphor for a time of suffering or difficulty in suffering. This is Luke 9. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And if the cross is ever uncomfortable, God's not in it. No, that's not what it says, right? You see my point there? Take up your cross daily and follow me means it's going to be difficult, right? God is saying there's going to be some self-denial. There's going to be some death to self that in the process of love, of following God, of loving people, of loving God, it's going to be painful. But who are we following? Christ. Another example here from John 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So here's Jesus' warning. It's very similar to kind of our first point and, and the second point as well. That how we frame what we expect the Christian life to be is important. Jesus is literally saying, if I didn't tell you that it's going to get hard, you might fall away. I'm telling you these things so that you don't fall away in the times of difficulty. These hard things are going to come. And it's not because you're not with me. That's what he's saying. That's a, kind of an amazing thing that he felt the need to say this to the disciples. You know, He had said all these things before about taking up your cross, and he says one more time in the upper room, I'm saying these things to you. I'm preparing you for difficult times because I don't want you to fall away. And what is the solution there? What is he saying you do in those times? You enter into the life of Jesus in your life and you see, I'm just following Jesus after him. Jesus suffered. Jesus was rejected. And so as I'm moving on, I'm meditating on that and I'm entering into what he has for me. I'm just following him. That's what he's calling us to do. He's asking them, think about, my, think about me. I'm the master. You're the servant. The, master follows the, ser- the servant follows the master. What was the life of Jesus like? That's what your life is going to be like. And so, 
you see this idea, kind of the overarching idea that I'm trying to get across is one, that there's going to be times of difficulties, but two, in times of difficulties, you've got to place where you are in the larger story of Scripture. That God has given you a pattern for your life through the Bible, and it's not a pattern of zero pain, zero discomfort, no hardships. It's through the wilderness that you get to the promised land. God's with you through the wilderness. He's the one leading you if you're following Him. It's in following Jesus, in taking up our cross and following after Him, that He's there with us. But that's not easy. That's painful. Okay, another thought here. What do we do then? Okay, let's say we're in a time of difficulty, which we, everybody is, right? Uh, just looking around, there's difficult things. Everybody's got difficult things in their life, whether that's individual, family, relationship, church. We've got difficult things. So what do we do? Well, one, look to the scriptures, right? And look to what God has said. Look to what he's called us to and remember and place ourselves in that, in the story of God's people, that we're not trailblazing, that you're not trailblazing. Whatever difficulty you're going through, it's not new. And so you place yourself in that story. It's an important piece is to know that you're a part of God's people and you're walking the same path that Jesus walked, that the, that the Israelites walked. And then we want to learn, right? We want to use that as a learning opportunity. So what do we do in the wilderness? We want to have faith in the wilderness. God has a purpose. What is valuable has not changed. Just because we're going through a difficult time, what is valuable has not changed. Let's read this section here again. Um, this is a very, actually it's a little bit different. This is a very similar idea here again from numbers 14 so this is the piece after they say let's go back to egypt okay so we'll start i'll read if you want to join you can numbers 14 if you don't that's fine i'll read it to you um, numbers 14 verse 4 which we already read but i'll start there and they said to one another let us choose a leader and go back to egypt and then listen to the response and moses and aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of israel and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us to this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Okay, so what's to take from that? In the wilderness, we don't want to lose heart. We don't want to stop believing. You know, remember belief and faith are the same word, just one's a verb and one's a noun. So when they, God says they don't believe in me, he's saying they don't have faith. We want to trust God. If you're going through the wilderness in your life, whatever that looks like, 
you're taking up your cross and it's painful, it's particularly painful, you need to have faith. You need to have faith in God. That God has a purpose. That He hasn't left you no matter how hard it gets. That God is there. The one thing you can't do is stop trusting and turn back. Keep moving. Just like Jesus said, don't fall away. I said these things to you so you won't fall away. We keep trusting the Lord. You keep moving forward. You trust Him in the wilderness. Here's this, again, back to the life of Jesus, the same exact idea from the life of Jesus. This is Matthew 16. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him to the side and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So you see the context there in that particular section? He's saying, I'm going to suffer. And Peter's saying, no, you're not going to. That's not how it works. That's not the story of the Messiah. That's not what God does to his people. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, if anyone would take up his, if anyone would follow me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. So he's saying, you've got to follow me. And that means suffering. Don't turn back. Don't decide that the path of like we've been talking about the victorious Christian life is a path of comfort and ease it's a difficult road and we're just following Jesus we don't want to decide to turn back we don't want to do what God wants us to do we want to take up our cross daily and follow Christ Ephesians 5 says it this way Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's kind of a strange verse if you really think about it. It sounds so nice (laughs) at first, right? Just walk in love like Jesus. Walk in love like Jesus loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But what does that mean? That means somebody spit on his face. Somebody beat him and said, prophesy and say who you are. Somebody put a crown of thorns on his head. Somebody nailed his hands and his feet to a cross. Somebody gave him vinegar um, as kind of a cruel punishment of already being on the cross. Somebody mocked him and said, if you are really God, take your, why don't you have angels come down? and get down off that cross. Yeah, we want to walk in love as Christ loved. How did he love and give himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? That was on a cross. That was hard. That was painful. In every level, physically, I'm sure emotionally, even relationally, very sad and hard. And that's our example. It's an example of difficulty But what do we do? We have faith. We continue to trust. We trust the Lord. We don't ever give up. No matter how difficult it gets, we trust God. You know, this is something I've shared before, but it's just something so helpful to me that 
This is the gospel, right? That Christ died on the cross. He loved us when we didn't deserve it to wash away our sins, that we can trust him. We can trust him to wash away our sins by grace. That's an amazing thing. It's an unbelievable thing that God would become a man to love people. That's, a, that's period, is amazing. But that that man would die on a cross, that's unthinkable. But, and it is the gospel. That's how we can be saved. But it's also a pattern for our life. You see? The, cro- the cross is the way we're saved, and it's the pattern for our life. It's not an easy pattern. And we don't want to confuse justification and forgiveness with our response to imitating Christ. That we imitate Christ's death on the cross, not to be saved, but because that's how we are saved. That's really important. But it is a pattern for our life. And if we don't have this, well, just like Jesus said, there's going to be a danger of falling away. If we don't have really deep rooted in our minds that God is calling us to follow him and where he's calling us to follow him is not easy. It's going to be hard. And it makes sense of different passages that are very, I think, difficult passages without this idea, without this thought and this conception of following God through the wilderness, of taking up our cross daily. I'll give you a couple examples. First Peter, like we were just reading, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. For if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of Christ rests upon you. So here he says all these pieces that we've already talked about. Don't be surprised when you go through the wilderness. That's my paraphrase. Don't be surprised when you take up your cross and it's painful and it's hard. Don't be surprised. But as you go through it, rejoice. Have joy. Why? Because it's not painful? No. Rejoice because you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. Put your life, the pattern of your life, and place it on top of the life of Jesus and see the similarities. And that's where you rejoice. You see the difference? I, I should have brought some of these. I don't know if I have any more. The kids, you probably don't even know what this is. But back when we were in school, we had these um, like projectors. Uh, there was still one at the elementary school that one teacher used when I was there. It's like a, it's a projector that has this clear light, and there's these clear pieces of paper, and you write with Sharpie, or uh, dry erase, and it gets projected up onto the uh, to the wall, and so the teacher can write something and see that what all the all the kids can see what she's writing. It's like the proto smart board, I guess. <laughs> um, and the teacher could place like layers and layers and layers on there, like because they're clear. So she could put one down, and then a lot of times we would do this thing. This is too many details, but where there would be like a text and she, we would have to correct the errors and then the teacher would put down on top of that another one where she had corrected all the errors and they would be there on top. And you could just layer layers and see through each one. Does that make sense? Boy, this, if you're, okay. <laughs> if you've never seen this, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Imagine two clear pieces of paper and on one is the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus was not 
straight line uh, up to comfort and ease and, and success in the world. It was a life of downward trajectory, right? Jesus laid aside his glory in the sense of his visible glory to become a man. And then what did he do? He lived in a tower as a king and he didn't have to ever touch sinful men? No. He came down to live with sinful men. And then what? And then he was rejected by those sinful men. But at least he had the best followers anyone could ask for that never misunderstood. No. <laughs> they rebuked him. And it's just like downward, downward, downward. And then eventually, you know, he dies on the cross. But what? But God raised him from the dead and exalted him. And he saved the very people that were mocking him, the people that caused him all this trouble. He loved them to the end. And he washed their feet. And on that story, the trajectory of the life of Jesus is the life of the Christian. And so you place that, and then on top of it, you place your life. And you say, yeah, this is hard. I'm going downward. I, I thought I was supposed to be going upward. And then you remember, no, I'm following Jesus. And so as I go downward, I'm following the Savior. I'm, this is how I was saved, by Jesus going downward and loving me in spite of difficulty, in spite of downward after downward after downward of suffering and difficulty, yet filled with love and pursuit of God and faith. And so that's what Peter's calling us to here. Beloved, do not be surprised when the fire trial comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Placing our life on top of the life of Jesus, and in that, that it's the same, in where it's the same, we rejoice, and we're not surprised. His, his suffering was not a result of sin. Anytime we sin and we suffer for it, we can't place that on the life of Jesus because that's not what we're following. We, but we can be thankful that we can repent, that we can ask for forgiveness. But we're talking about going through the wilderness when God leads through the wilderness. What do we do? We serve God. We just want to serve God. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We're going to follow Jesus. If we want to serve him, we're going to be found where he is. And that's going to be with a cross on our back. We're going to be called to walk through the wilderness in faith, in love, remembering what Christ did and trying to imitate him. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, Philippians 3, and be found in him. This is Paul. I want, he's talking about he wants to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, so that's the first part, justification by Jesus' death on the cross. But listen to the second part. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So he's saying, yeah, I'm saved by what Jesus did on the cross, by faith in him. And what does that look like? I want to follow him and know him. What does that mean? Sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. He wants to love even when it hurts. We want to follow God. We want to trust God. We want to be like God. We want to be with God. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. You hear the, that God will be with us? If we follow God, if we're faithful to him, he'll be with us. 
Why is this important? Well, one, I can just say it's helpful to me in my life. You know, it's very, it's been, it's been very helpful to me. Um, maybe one of the most helpful things in my Christian life is to have this idea really clear in my mind uh, by the grace of God that this is what God has for us. And then to know what to do when it happens, whenever there's difficulties, whenever there's suffering. To have the biblical way to view it. I guess I could say it this way, kind of to conclude. Our culture doesn't view life this way. This is not the story that American Christianity even, uh, definitely not American culture, tells us is victorious. That faith is a victory, right? Like Faith is a victory. Like, we've been talking about being victorious, but what does that look like? Well, I'll give you one last passage here. Hebrews 11. This is, you know, the store, the passage, the hall of faith, some people call it, you know. It's talking about how the people in the Bible had faith. But listen to this. I'll start in verse 31 through 38 is where I'm going to read. Hebrews 11, 31 to 38. You can turn there if you, if you, if you want to. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. This is 31. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdom, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who made strong, who were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women, women received back their dead by resurrection. Okay, let's pause right there in the middle of verse 35. This is where, if I was doing the verses, which, you know, they're not inspired, just somebody just put them in later, this is where I would have put a verse break in. Because verse 35, like halfway through, it changes. Because up to this point, at least in this short section, it's talking about, by faith, they, got, they received all the things you would hope to receive. Receive your dead back. That sounds good. Put armies to flight. Basically, success, success, success. Okay, but now listen in the middle of verse 35 how it changes. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves on the earth. This section is not talking about the results, right? It's not saying those who were tortured or those who were sawn in two, they didn't receive the promise like those who received back the dead and put foreign armies to flight and closed the mouths of lions. It's saying that they all received the reward of what? Of their faith, which is to know God, to be right with God, to be with God. The reason that we can put both these in the same paragraph and it makes sense is because what matters is not the results. What matters is not how it looks outwardly uh, in terms of the world. What matters is 
what's going on in reality, in spiritual reality, that both had what mattered, and that is faith in God. They knew Christ, even by faith. Um, they were looking forward to a lamb that would take away the sins of the world. And they were trusting. And so, we want to understand this. We want to be prepared. We want to know what's coming. That you're going to go through a wilderness time. Maybe a long one. Expect that. Know that that doesn't mean God's not with you. Still, absolutely pray. You know, is there anything? Is is there any way where I went the wrong direction? But doesn't necessarily mean there is. It could be. It could not be. Have faith in the, in that time. Don't lose faith. Just like Christ, trust God even in the midst of the wilderness. Don't give in to the temptation that surely what God wants me to do is be comfortable and turn these you know, stones into bread. Just follow God, what He's asked you to do. And as you do it, remember that your life is not your life. Your life is God's. And He's the one directing you. And He has a plan for your life. And what does that plan look like? It does not look like the American dream. It looks like the life of Christ. And that is difficult. That is loving in the midst of deep suffering, unspeakable suffering. And the victory is not the results. The victory is that relationship with God that goes beyond death. That those who sawn in two, were sawn in two were never living for worldly success. They were always living for their relationship with God. And so that can't be taken. God has a purpose, and let's trust Him. Let's look to Christ as our example. And let's remember, as we go through difficult times what's really important, and who we're following. Just like, kind of like Aaron was saying, you know, it's like difficult things come into our life and we ask why. And over and over and over in the Bible, rarely does God answer the why question. Very rarely. But God regularly answers the who question. Who is with us? Who's the one leading us? Who's the one we can trust? God. And that those are is what gets us through. Not understanding all the whys. It's that we know who is leading us. We know who loves us. We know who died for us. And we know who's going to sustain us through the difficulty. And so, I hope this is an encouragement to you. I hope um, you remember this in times of difficulty and trial. Because it makes all the difference. Um, makes all the difference. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful that your word is true and it doesn't shy back from anything, um, that you speak truth to us and that the truth is our life is not going to be easy in following you, but we're thankful that you are going to be with us. We're very thankful that you loved us enough to die for us, Jesus. And we want to be like you. Would you help us? And we just confess um, just our own human weakness. We feel like giving up when it's hard. We feel like throwing in the towel and getting out from under uh, burdens. But we want to follow you wherever that leads.
wherever you lead. And we want to be faithful to you wherever you have us. And we just need your help. We need you to give us sustaining power and endurance. We want to rejoice uh, even in the midst of difficulties because we're following you and because you're there with us. Would you help us? And we do pray. We don't want to lose sight of persecuted Christians all over the world that are living this out in a very real and literal way. And so we're just asking, have mercy on the people in Nigeria that are um, under threat of death um, by persecution, and people in China, uh, India, um, lots of other countries, Sudan, and many, many other countries. Um, we just, you know, each Christian, you know, each one of their names, and we're just praying, would you strengthen them? Would you be near to them by your spirit? Um, would you give them faith? and endurance to press on through even unto death have mercy um, on the people we know in different countries uh, just lifting them up to you you know who they are wherever they're at have mercy thank you Jesus uh, once again just for loving us not leaving us to ourselves thank you for being our example we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.